going to skip any introductory stuff. We're going to go right into Revelation now. So we're going to, uh, let me give you just a little bit of a, a history though. We're in this series on Revelation and with it, uh, we started chapter one, kind of an introductory, what it looks like, making sure that when we study Revelation, the first thing Jesus says is, look at me. Jesus doesn't say, look at the dragons, look at the eyes, look at the wings, look at the claws, look at the colors. Jesus says in Revelation, look at me. And it's the point of the book to see Christ. Chapters two and three are kind of a report card to the seven churches that Revelation, the Revelation is given for, the letter is written for. As we read chapters two and three, we are looking over those churches' shoulders to read what was written to them. The number seven, when it shows up in Revelation, is more than a number. It also represents something that is complete or done or full. So when we talk seven churches, yes, it's to those seven churches, and it's to us today because it's all the churches. It's the completeness of the church. So we read over their shoulder, understanding he's writing to them, but we can learn from it as well. We covered chapters two and three, and then John, the author of Revelation, goes from the church to an open view of heaven, the heavenlies. We saw that last week, starting last week in chapter four. His focus goes from what's in a practical sense to the church to what's going on in the heavenlies, and it's mind-blowing. And if you've missed any of these messages, our YouTube page, our webpage, those are available. You can catch up. And we have what we call Monday Morning Insights, or Monday Morning Insights, right? Follow-up. Thank you. I knew that wasn't right. Monday follow-up. Just go on the YouTube page. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Um, what we do, though, there is there's stuff we just can't cover on a Sunday, or we would be in Revelation for years. So we dig in deeper on the Monday follow-up. Um, <laughs> It's been a long day already. Uh, so I would encourage you, seriously, I'd encourage you to go check that out if you have questions or would like to know more about Revelation. Today, we go to uh, Revelation 5, and we start and we pick up where John's view is of heaven. And I'm going to do a little different today. We're going to stop in passage and break some things down as we go before getting to the three primary points. First of all, verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Let's stop right here. First of all, I want to speak to church folks, and this is going to be a bit of a rabbit trail. I know some of you are like decibel readers, and you want your church soft and quiet, but I need you to understand, heaven is loud. As we read Revelation, I want you to read how many times it's tens of thousands times tens of thousands who are shouting and proclaiming and trumpets blaring and the sounds of mighty rushing waters. Or as we have an angel right here, verse 2, it says, he proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? And some of you are going, shh, pastor. Stop. <laughs> Heaven is going to be loud and it's full of new songs. 
It's going to shake up our paradigm of church. But then we look at this picture. It's going to break up our paradigm of worship. We look at this picture and there's these scrolls and they're in the hand of God. And yet here's the question I found myself asking. Why can't God just open them? Like this is the God of the universe and he's holding these scrolls and he can't even open his own scrolls. What we don't see in this part of the passage that we're going to see further into Revelation is what these scrolls are. And they're basically, you're going to see, they're the plan and the will of God. So if God opens them himself, he has to deal with us. If God opens them himself, one of two things is going to happen because we're talking about a just God. One, we're toast. He's got to deal with us on the spot. His unfiltered wrath is based on what he opens and sees and he's going to deal with it. Or two, he's got to sweep our rebellion and sin right under the table. He can't do that either because he is a just God. So we come to the spot where God is holding these scrolls And yet there's not much that can be done. Look at verse five. It says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has come. He is able to open the scrolls and it's seven seals. Yes. So now what can't be opened by God, here comes a lion. And I like lions. Lions are austere and they're strong. And when they walk into a space, every other animal trembles. They say that when a lion roars, it can be heard for miles. Everything else stops. You can be at a zoo and a lion will roar and everyone freaks out. Here comes a lion walking in. Maybe John heard it roar because he knew it was, it was a lion. And he turns and he sees it. And what does he see? That. Verse 6. He said, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here comes the presence of a lion and the physical form of a lamb. And this lamb, he says, looks as if it has been slain. This thing has been battered, beaten, maybe bloodied. And it says it's standing at the center of the throne. We've already seen God is on the throne. The lamb is Jesus. The lamb is God. And he stands on the center of the throne. And we see a picture once again of that number seven. Seven horns, which is power. All power is in this lamb. Seven eyes, all seeing, all knowing. The seven spirits, encompassing spirit of God is at work. Verse seven, it says, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Picture this, a lamb walking into the presence of a holy and mighty God that everyone else is falling down and worshiping. John sees this lamb simply walk over and take the scrolls. He's asserting his right. This lamb is asserting his right to rule the world. The lamb is a lion. He is king. These prayers of the saints are for the peace, hope, and deliverance of a dark world, for a new kingdom to come with a new king. 
This lamb is the answer to these prayers. This lamb is the lion. This lamb is the king. John is watching all this play out and as he sees it, and he sees the wrath of God has been poured out on this lamb, there's this spontaneous breakout of praise that begins to happen in heaven because of what the lamb has done. Now let me ask you a question before we get into this picture of worship and praise that's going on in heaven. When you walk into church, when you think of our time of singing, is it carrying a tune or is it worship for what the lamb has done? Because there can be singing, there can be a lot of notes in a church service, and that doesn't mean a single word of worship or praise has gone out. When we gather into church, do you get a picture of what the Lamb has done for you? And it can be so easy to think about, especially if you're like me and you grew up in church, and it's just what you've done. But if I brought a baby lamb out on this platform, and I put a knife in your hand, and said, this lamb has to die for you, you'd be horrified. And yet that's what this lamb did for us. <coughs> May we not get used to it. May it stay as fresh as on our, on our mind as if a lamb was brought to be slaughtered right here on the platform. This is such a picture of the Old Testament where a lamb would be killed for the people. Jesus is that lamb. So when we gather and we begin to worship, I would challenge you, please don't hear the songs as just another event to do in church or something to override a bad week you may have had. Remember what the lamb has done for you. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, but we go into the worship that happens and worship is worth-ship. You're showing the worth or value of the one you're singing out to. Verse nine, it says, they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. We'll come back to verse nine in a minute, but we get this building that's happening in this time of worship. Verse 11, it says, Then I look and I heard, the uh, I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. It's not something that just ekes out of your mind. It's something that comes from your gut. Worthy is the lamb. Tens of thousands times tens of thousands shouting the same thing. And then we go on, verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. So be it. Let it be. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Have you ever been to a concert where you are so overwhelmed by the music? Maybe it's a sporting event where you don't think through what you're going to do. You just do it. 
a big play happens, you just jump on your feet. You're not sitting there going, I think I'm going to jump on my feet in about 14 seconds. No, you just do it. Your arms go in the air. You scream. The veins are popping. It's an impulsive response. Just me? (laughs) It's an impulsive response in worth-ship of what has just happened before you. For me, concerts, when I see live music and I see or hear someone skilled at what they do, you can't help but just start applauding. I laugh. I'm just like so amazed. I'll just start laughing just in sheer awe of what's happening. That's the picture of what's going on in heaven right now. This is that. This is that times billions of peoples and creatures and angels. It says that it's not just what's in heaven, it's all of earth mooing and barking and chirping and fishing, whatever, whatever sound fish make. Bass or bassing, trout or trouting. It's all happening to the glory of God. And it is not happening silently. And it is not happening in a whisper or a quiet response. It is happening with a loud from the gut praise. It should change the way we look at what we're singing or saying. It should change the value, the worth of what we see in the lamb. Because if we view him correctly and what he's done for us, I don't know how else we can respond. John responds that same way. Now all this is for the lamb. Who's the lamb again? It's Jesus. Why are they doing this? This is kind of the three things I want to dig into from verse uh, from earlier in the chat, uh, from verse nine and ten. First of all, Jesus provided a way. It does not happen in any other way. Jesus provided a way. Uh, chapter uh, five, verse nine a. It says, "And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You are worthy. No one else is worthy of it. Jesus is the one who provided a way. And I want to kind of give you a little side note here. Do you realize that this worship that we're hearing about in heaven is the only thing that we practice here that we take with us? You don't have to witness to anybody in heaven. You don't have to tell anybody about Jesus in heaven. They know. We will not be having Sunday school class or preaching in heaven. We will have full understanding of scripture. Matter of fact, we're probably going to go, oh, that's what that meant. We'll know. But when it comes to the presence of God, we will worship. What you do in your time with the Lord is what is practice for what you will do in eternity with him. It is the only practice we take with us. And Jesus provided the way for that to happen. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one who could have provided the way. The only one who could fulfill the purposes of God. Like I said, without the lamb, we're toast. Jesus provided a way. We understand. Scripture tells us, Romans 6.23, the wages or the payment for our sin, our rebellion against God, it's death. But the gift of God because of Jesus is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, life abundantly. And please, please, I don't want you to see this as Jesus just fulfilling a checklist. I'm a task-oriented person. I like being able to get things done. I like having purpose to it, but there's something about getting things done and, and kind of moving on that's, that's fulfilling. This wasn't a 
task list for Jesus. This was a heart list for Jesus. Jesus did it. This is the second thing. Jesus did this out of love for us. It's a demonstration of his love. And this love was not a cheap act. It cost him something. To use the word love, if you've studied Greek, and we've talked about this before, but to use the word love is to use the strongest statement, agape, to use the strongest statement that you can possibly use. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. These earthly bodies, they'll go back to the dust. But who we really are will be with Jesus. And there's more to come on that and what happens next later on in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 5, 9b, the second half, it says, because you were slain, talking about the lamb, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. This message is for everyone. This message of Jesus' love is for everyone. Mark 16 tells us, go tell all the people of the world. Acts chapter two. Uh, Acts chapter one says, go tell the people in your hometown, your surrounding region and the, and the world. Go tell them this message of God's love for them. Romans chapter five and verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That lamb that we're reading about being slain was slain for us out of love. So we see that it doesn't happen without him. We see that he does this because of love. And what this means to us is it gives us purpose. It gives us purpose. Revelation 5 and verse 10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. We have an idea of priests because of our culture. Take this back to the Old Testament. Once again, the tie between Revelation and the Old Testament is strong. We, as priests, as a kingdom of priests, are representations of God on the earth. Can you do me a favor and tell the person beside you right now, you are a priest. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. Tell them, you are a priest. And some of you are like, no, yes, you are. We are representations of God on the earth. We are a kingdom. We are a people group. We are representations of God on the earth. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Some of you are going, I don't feel very holy. I know what I was thinking at five o'clock this morning. I don't feel very holy. I know what my struggles were. I don't feel very holy. In a surrendered life to Christ, when we see the fruit of his presence in our life, chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're a priesthood. We represent God on this earth. And we look at priests and we think, oh, quiet, meek, mild, humble, walked on. He says in Revelation, we're priests who rule and reign with God. We represent God and we rule and reign with God. I'll probably hit on this on the follow-up Monday. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 4. 
all talk about us ruling and reigning with Christ. Some of you right now are buried under circumstances. You are letting them oppress you. Some of you are carrying the weight of your past. It is ruling and reigning over you, and that script needs to flip. You are to rule and reign over it. Some of you are looking at your finances, and it rules and reigns over you. And yet God has equipped us in a way in walking out his plan and living according to his path where we understand he's our provider. We are to rule and reign over it. Some of you, public opinion compared to what the scriptures say about you, it rules and reigns over you. Flip the script. It's you are to rule and reign over it. We have been equipped with every spiritual blessing. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in each of you who call on Jesus. We rule and reign with him. Ladies and gentlemen of all ages, be the priest God has called you to be. Be the representation of Christ in your home, in your community, in your school, in your family that God has called you to be. Remember what the lamb has done and realize its purpose. That we are a called out people. And we're to live for him. Nancy Guthrie wrote the book, Blessed. One of her quotes, I love this. It says, the human heart is wired for glory. It longs for it. We will look for it in the form of who we know or what we do or covering ourselves in the body paint of our favorite sports teams. She's not even from Green Bay. We are looking to connect with something or someone who will give us purpose, identity, glory. And yet, if we'll own it, Jesus has given us that and it will share and live forever. We're a kingdom of priests. We are God's people. More than anything else, you can label yourself. Heaven realizes this and proclaims to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's my identity in Christ. That's where my strength comes from, in Christ. That's where my purpose comes from, in Christ. We are his priests. And don't sell yourself short on anything else. No matter what you're facing, sing louder than the problems that you have. Sing louder than the thing you feel is ruling and reigning over you. And remember that that lamb is a lion. And he is in your life we realize what Jesus did for us. There should be something in us that can't resist jumping up and worshiping him. As we close out the message, I want you to kind of reflect, step back and reflect. Once again, if we forget the symbols for just a minute, we forget everything else and we set our sights on that lamb, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, enduring the cross, despising its shame, he endured. He went through. Why? For us. As we sing a last song today, as you have a last moment as a gathered body of Christ, one of many around this city this morning, around this state, this country, this world, who are worshiping God, can I ask that we make it a song of worship to the one who's on the throne? And not just a song where we get our stuff together before we leave. Can we make it a song where we just stop everything else. Put the phone down. 
put the lists down, wake up a little bit, and remember what the Lamb has done for us. Would you bow your head with me, please? Jesus, you are worthy of our worship. Jesus, you are worthy of our trust. Jesus, you are worthy of our affections. Jesus, you are worthy of whatever may be required of us to live for you with patient endurance. May our eyes be focused on the throne and the lion lamb that sits on it. We thank you in Christ's name we pray.